This podcast is recorded on the ancestral lands of the Tongva people. Welcome to the Create Well podcast, where we explore the intersections of creativity, wellness, and entrepreneurship. On this week's episode, we will be getting to know our hosts better. Erica and I will be interviewing each other and chatting about how our artistic journeys began. We will also be exploring the topics of jealousy, competition, and camaraderie between artists. They said if I want to make it, gotta starve and stress and sell. But if I'm gonna be an artist, well, I wanna create well. Yeah, you gotta create well. Episode two. We made it. We did it. I'm so happy. This yeah. is so exciting. Shout out to everyone who listened to episode one and came back for episode two. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And thanks for all the feedback yeah. and the shares. And we're just excited about the like resonance with the community already. And the yeah. fact that we're all kind of starting to create together yeah. in some ways, which is really dope. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're here for. And what's so cool about just you know, our immediate community that started as just the two of us with this podcast mm-hmm. and now it's growing to so many more people is that we're trying to bridge the community of all different artistic mediums as well. Yep. And that's really exciting. And, you know, my friends who are actors and who are visual artists and musicians are all starting to follow and listen and, yeah. um, you know, people of all ages and locations. And so it's just so exciting. And yeah. I, can't we're wait. so so grateful yeah. especially i think right now like we're all looking for ways to be connected mm-hmm. and for both of us we've had creative community in different locations and yeah. different iterations over mm-hmm. our artistic careers yeah um and right now we're both really new to long beach yeah we don't necessarily have a mm-hmm. huge creative community here yeah. so like the rest of the world we're moving to being more connected digitally and so yeah yeah awesome. you know i moved to long beach literally six weeks before the quarantine and lockdown that's crazy and so um community and gathering and concerts and and all of that is a huge part of my life that i can't do right now and so having this podcast and all of you who are listening you are our community and Mm -hmm. we want to bring you in um, as close as possible so thank you for being here and welcome to episode two and so how you doing erica I'm good. We were just kind of going or starting to talk about our weeks earlier and um we were just talking about TikTok. I've been talking about TikTok a lot. <laughs> yeah, talk about TikTok. <laughs> talk about TikTok. So basically the um quote unquote president is trying to get rid of TikTok. Mm-hmm. And a little bit has shifted over the last days. Um but it's for multiple reasons. One because China owns the app and mm-hmm. there are some um alleged security issues with it which okay. i don't understand the full extent of i kind of feel like my soul is sold to the internet yeah so that at this point doesn't bother right. me a lot for better or for worse yeah Just um, ignorant bliss but what i see that he is really bothered by and what we've seen over and over that he's really bothered by is the um the mobilization of the people mo- you can the information app. share so fast on tiktok it's there's, incredible there's no other platform where you can go as viral as you yeah. can on tiktok in that short amount of time yeah so like i i bet a lot of you listening saw what happened with his tulsa rally mm-hmm. so basically gen z mobilized on tiktok 
to get everybody to sign up to get a quote unquote ticket on yes, there. Yes, I heard about And this. so he thought millions of people were going to show up. Yeah. But lo and behold, nobody came. <laughs> <laughs> so, and they've wow. done this over and over. Every week there's a new kind of push for them. And he sees mm-hmm. that power and he has a weak ego. Yeah. And so he just wants to shut it down. And now he wants to like power play it into a financial gain for the US. Wow. But regardless of all of that, yeah. is I really think artists should be looking at TikTok. Mm-hmm. Instagram just released their version of TikTok. How Reels. do you feel about that? Are you going to be participating or just retweet, like redoing your tweet, your TikToks? Redoing them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we have to be smart about how we're utilizing our time. Yeah. And so the more that you can um, kind of cross market yourself on your yeah. multiple platforms mm-hmm. without having to create new content. Just be everywhere. Yeah. You can. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just putting stuff up and I'm not going to overthink it. I'm That's gonna great. If you don't already face. follow Erica Elon on TikTok, you need to. She's my inspiration. I am a slacker on TikTok, but I'm I'm really trying. And <laughs> by trying, I mean, I just like, I, I'm not. I We're going to work on that. Yeah. It's, it's on my to-do list. Um, so yeah, anything anything else new in the TikTok or non-TikTok world for you TikTok this week? or non-TikTok. Yeah, that's been like on the creative end of things. I think the main thing this week, and I'm like, you need to hold me accountable. And maybe this mm. new crew of Create Wall people needs to hold me accountable is I haven't painted. Okay. And yeah. what's fun is I'm doing a painting of Ray and I haven't painted it. Yeah. So oh, somebody check is, in on me. <laughs> it's such an important thing to say because I think that, you know, this week we're talking a bit about jealousy, competition and camaraderie. Mm. And I think that, you know, if I were to look at your Instagram or your TikTok mm. and not knowing you, I'd be like, oh my gosh, this beautiful, amazing artist probably paints like 10 hours a day and is just lounging around in her <laughs> athleisure, just painting her day away all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that a lot of times we get in our heads and think that we just idealize artists and thinking that mm. they're always being productive. Mm. They're always doing their best. They're always creating. They're always like boom, boom, boom. And it's just not true. No. You know, okay, this past week, how much have I, how much songwriting have I done? A little bit, mm-hmm. maybe like a total of a few hours total. Yeah. And I've spent a bajillion hours behind my computer doing all yes. kinds of clerical work and emails and things that right. are just don't feel artistic at all. So, yeah, thanks for just like saying that. Like, I haven't painted this week. Nope. Not you know, bit. that and shout out to everyone out there who is feeling down on themselves because they didn't create this week, which is fine. It's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so my week, I... Um, had a bunch of radio interviews this week, which is cool. Amazing. Because my single, The It Girl, has been out for a few weeks and some really dope radio spots are playing it, which is exciting because, you know, I'm a indie artist and I don't have major label people pushing my songs yeah. out to commercial radio. And so I've had people message me like, oh my gosh, I was just walking down the street. I heard your song on the radio. And that's awesome. So and I had cool. this really cool moment yesterday on this radio interview. Um, where the guy who was a uh, like white male, he told me how much he felt like the it girl. Re- like he was so he was saying how it's so relatable and how he hmm. relates to it so much, and how it just really struck a chord in him. And I was like, that's so cool because when I wrote it, the opening lyric is, I could tell I was living in a world that wasn't made for brown skin girls, right. and so I thought that it was only going to relate to brown girls and that mm-hmm. I was going to be like isolating other people. But what I've realized with creation and art and whatever, 
the more specific you get, hmm. actually it becomes more relatable. Fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating. And my brother, you know, who's like, he's, you know, he's not a white dude. He's like my brother, but um, <laughs> he, he relates to the song so much. And he's always talking about how much he relates to it. And um, so anyway, it was just really cool to me. I, I, I took it as like a huge compliment <clears throat> that, that he related to it. <clears throat> and uh, anyway, so that was a cool moment yesterday. And that made, that just gave me a lot of like, hell yeah, write specific, be specific. It's okay. The opening lyric is specific to brown girls, but actually other people can relate mm. too. And that was a cool moment. Um, I mastered a double spin on my roller what? skates, <laughs> which was really cool. So that's yeah. been my week. It's been, it's been a good week. So good. And so I'm excited for, for this episode because we're going to be interviewing each other and kind of digging deep into our past Ooh. because I think it's important for everyone listening mm. to really know us before we go deeper into mm. what we want to create. We got to see what we created before, maybe mm. what worked and what didn't work. <laughs> what didn't work. So what didn't work. here we go. Here we go. So before we get into the interviews, we wanted to share a few Create Well challenges from episode one. And the challenge was to take an artist stigma and rewrite it into something that's productive for you. So I'm going to share one uh, sent in by Haley Palmier from Los Angeles, California. And the artist stigma that Haley chose was that artists cannot make a decent living. And she rewrote that to a awesome affirmation I will remind myself that if I work hard and apply myself, I too can make a comfortable living and then some. So beautiful. So sweet. And then um, Stacy, who's Navajo Darling on Instagram, also participated. And I'm going to read her second one. Um, so she wrote, the myth is no one wants to hear your stories. And her rewritten version is, if I don't write my story, no one else will. I need my story, so others need it too, just as you need other stories. That's a poem right there. It That's is beautiful. A poem, and she took a really pretty photo with it. Yay. So go check out um, Navajo Darling too on Instagram. Amazing. Thanks yeah. for participating in the Create Well Challenge, everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Erica, welcome to my interview lounge. Oh my gosh, I'm so <laughs> nervous. Okay, so Erica. What was the first moment you knew you were meant to be an artist? Mm. I think it was probably I took a painting class my senior year of high school. And at that point, I was pretty set on going to college and studying politics and law. Mm -hmm. I was really interested in that. Wow. Um, and I took this painting class and it always kind of been in a creative realm and it was always encouraged by my family I was really lucky um, but I had never really tried painting before and suddenly it sort of opened up this opportunity to engage with a lot of the um, questions and concepts that I was interested in or exploring in a visual way mm -hmm. and kind of wrestle with things in a visual way mm -hmm. Um, and at that point, I don't think I had any of these words for it, but like the process itself of painting being using literally using earth, mm. which is dirt, paint is mm. just dirt, um, wow. and building something from that into mm -hmm. what it's meant to be, mm -hmm. um, really resonated with me. Wow. So 
I went to college and started study- and not not that like studying art is what makes you an artist, but mm-hmm. it was this like a, a piece of the education journey that I was studying politics at the same time as studying art. And then so you like started, double majored or something? Or? I double majored in conflict transformation. Okay. <laughs> I went to a liberal arts school, if you can't wow. tell. And then art. Art and conflict transformation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. That's um, amazing. Which are two really interconnected things. Absolutely. And much of the study, the academic study of conflict transformation deals with art. Mm-hmm. Um, so they fit naturally together and conflict transformation was much more um, appropriate and resonated with me more than um, politics at the Mm -hmm. time. Um, So yeah, I think that senior year course really pivoted me into understanding that like creating, building tangible visual elements or objects Mm -hmm. was actually a way to engage in those realms as well. I'm pretty fascinated that you started painting at like the age of 17, 18. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, you know, when I look at your work, I, in my head, would say, oh, this is probably someone who's been painting since she, like, mm. as soon as you started being able to write or yeah. something, you know, which is incredibly, is incredible. And it's a testament to your talent because, you know, you started mm. as an adult pretty much, yeah. you know, and so. That's pretty fascinating. And so anyway, another question I have is how do you feel your time in college Mm -hmm. contributed to your growth as an artist? And do you feel like it was an essential part of your education and and your coming to be as an artist? Yeah. I, a lot of people will ask like, should I take a painting course or should I go get my MFA or should I study art academically? And what was so important about my undergrad experience was the teachers that I had. Mm -hmm. And there was one in particular, he's an incredible artist, Tim Lowley. You can look up his work. Um, It's gorgeous. It's figurative work, um, primarily acrylic painting. Mm. And he's also a musician, a really amazing musician. Um, What was so important was the people that I was surrounded by Mm -hmm. and the community that Mm -hmm. I had there. Mm -hmm. And that is what grew me as an artist the most. Mm. It wasn't, we didn't have really technique oriented classes or classes that focused on, you know, getting to some um, very particular achievement in the art world. Mm -hmm. It was focused on what it means to be human Mm -hmm. and what it means to make work from a conceptual ground, Mm -hmm. like a conceptual foundation. Yeah which I think a lot about with artists and we'll probably talk with you about like, what is it that's like in your roots and in the base where all of your art grows from. Mm -hmm. Um, So my undergrad experience was really important for that. Mm -hmm. And I actually went on to try and get an MFA. Okay. (laughs) And it was a terrible experience. And I left with more anxiety and I didn't Mm -hmm. finish. I I left the program um, because it didn't have that aspect of um, community and mutual, Mm. um, mutual growth. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's good to know because I don't think there is personally a, like one size fits all, like whether you Mm. should go to school or should not go to school. Mm -hmm. It really depends on the school, the people, the person, you know, all that. Right. So as you came, you know, into art as a career, what would you say was one of your biggest challenges? Yeah, I think early on the challenges were more 
in the crash course of what it means to be an artist mm-hmm. and managing expectations or mm-hmm. like preconceived ideas of what being an artist looks like um versus what it actually means and mm-hmm. i think it's taken years and i'm still growing in this but to get to a place of being okay with what my art life mm-hmm. looks like right and not again comparing it <laughs> to yeah. somebody else's or um trying to model it after somebody else's journey um And then I think recently the challenges have been more um, balancing um, either trauma or transition in life Mm -hmm. and balancing. So again, my conceptual ground, I hold a lot of weight in community Mm -hmm. and like my work grows out of who I'm around and who my community is. And I, in the past few years, my community completely broke apart for Mm -hmm. a number of reasons i went through a divorce at a really young age Mm. um was kicked out of a church that i used to work in um yes i worked in a church um and uh also left a grad program that uh, two grad Mm. programs within two years and so the people in my life were just ripped into Mm. different directions and that's how life works but when that that was such a foundational piece of my work and it was it really took me almost a year and a half of dealing with all of life's many mm-hmm. <laughs> unexpected yeah. events and mm-hmm. pains to pull back to my art practice and mm-hmm. ground again and trust that I can still make work mm-hmm. even as those things that I felt were so intrinsic to my work mm-hmm. transition and look different wow so, yeah. yeah and you know, so you went through so much in those few years with leaving the church and getting divorced. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is there anything from that time in your life that <clears throat> that you, although it was like a really difficult time that you you take with you and you carry with you now, whether it's something from, um, yeah. you know, that relationship or from the church? Yeah. No, I think those things definitely carry with me um, in more positive ways than Mm -hmm. difficult ways. Um, And um, hmm. I think they've offered me markers to come back to Mm -hmm. um, in my art too, because Mm -hmm. I I live with these pieces Mm -hmm. of the people that I love. So my my work, I, I haven't really said much about like what my work visually looks like mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it i tend to paint the woman in my life yeah um and i do other pieces here and there and i'll do some waterscapes and work but i tend to paint the people that i'm walking with most intimately at a certain point in my life um so i'm not like bringing in art models which mm. i know like <laughs> shade to the people that yeah. paint art models and you know i love figurative work i think it's gorgeous whoever you're painting but I really paint the people that I'm close to and I'm learning a great mm. deal from. And so that was the other challenge. But now I kind of, I I see it and I try and celebrate it as the beauty of it. Even if it's, even if those women are not necessarily in my life in the same capacity anymore, that what I learned from them mm. and like the ways that they helped me grow as a human mm. and helped me see better mm. Um, are still here and they still mm-hmm. exist. And so it's so good to celebrate that that yeah. relationship still and the art that came from yeah. um, that too. 
So I think, um, yeah, they're kind of touch points for me. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's something that I've had to learn too. It's like, you know, something can be something I had to leave behind, but Mm -hmm. I can still take it with me. Yeah. You know, Yeah. maybe I had to physically leave it behind, but maybe there's certain parts of it I could take with me. And I think sometimes there's so much pressure to label things as like, bad good bad right good. it's like this was a toxic part of my life or this was a great part of my life and so right. um and that can be really s- stressful to be to have that such a polarizing view on our past yeah and to be like this was a toxic part of my life or like this was like a part of my life i had to leave behind or this was a place that i didn't like like my yeah. my years and this city were bad mm-hmm. but no it's like sometimes even if it was 60 percent bad or 40 percent bad there's so much to take with you so yeah um and it's made you the like, incredibly strong person you are today thanks you know um so anyway on the topic of jealousy <laughs> um do you one would you have considered yourself a competitive or jealous person growing up and two mm. um do you have a first memory of being jealous Ooh. So I was I was thinking about jealousy leading up to this. And I think, and this can be seen in my growing up too, I think my primary space of jealousy has been more related to my personality. Mm. In And I was like, oh, it's jealousy of people's impact in the world. Ooh. I'm like really jealous of that very mm. often. Wow. <laughs> and as an artist, it gives me a lot of like, an imposter syndrome because visual art can sometimes feel um, pretty self-focused and um, like it takes up a lot of space Mm. and that the impact is a little more mysterious. Interesting. (laughs) Then, uh, you know, then really tangible. Uh So I, even from an early age, I think my main spaces of jealousy were those where I saw, you know, peers Um, or people sometimes a little older than me doing a lot of good in the world, like very Mm. visible good and like um, fixing this problem or achieving this thing. Mm. And um, the impact of that is something that I just like always Mm. wanted to have. Uh So it pushed me not necessarily, I don't think I'm a very competitive person, Mm -hmm. but I can move into spaces where, where I'm creating from is more out of like a feeling of lack or a Mm. need to, and that's like the core of jealousy, right? Mm -hmm. Like jealousy as a feeling is pretty natural, Mm -hmm. but it's our response to it that can be really detrimental and can show our lack of like feeling of self-worth. So I wouldn't say I'm competitive, but I would say that the experienced jealousy so do you have a specific instance when there was like some some someone creating some kind of impact or some kind of specific i don't know whether it's like in politics or in activism Mm -hmm. you don't have to say like a a very specific instance but is there like a specific kind of vocation or job or artistic medium that you've looked at and felt i'm jealous of that absolutely and i think most of them aren't art vocations that I'm jealous of and so that kind of complicates Mm. my again like what am I doing with my time (laughs) because it's it feels so intangible so I've definitely been jealous of lawyers or of organizers or activists that have um moved in the world in a way that it's it's so beautiful and tangible the things that they're deconstructing Mm -hmm. and the things that they're teaching us and the ways that they're you know go 
working to defund the police mm-hmm. tangibly, working to end the school yeah. to prison le- pipeline tangibly. And I'm like, I'm sitting in my room making a painting right now. That's so fascinating. And that's actually something really important to unpack, though, because yeah. I think something we should continue to talk about is this that I feel and it's a part mm-hmm. of imposter syndrome that creating art is somehow inherently selfish. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I look at you, Erica, as one of the most impactful human beings in my life Mm. and i don't think that your impact is limited to your art Mm. i mean you are an amazing activist and a what was it that you studied conflict transformation (laughs) you are a conflict transformation transformer transformer you're like an actual (laughs) transformer um and you do so much work that honestly is not broadcasted. A lot of the work that you do is behind the scenes and the conversations that you have and the impact work that you do um, with working with, you know, all kinds of marginalized peoples um, is incredible. And uh, I think that maybe that's something that we both struggle with still is this in feeling that create art art creation mm-hmm. is inherently selfish. Mm. Um, and, uh, and that maybe you're jealous of these people who are outwardly lawyers or they're outwardly mm-hmm. la 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 la, but you do a lot of that work in your own way. Mm. You know what Thanks. I mean? So Thanks. yeah, you're so impactful and you're so effective. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's what's cool though. Like when you're saying all the jealousy, sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes jealousy is a really incredible compass. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, what are you jealous of? Then go do that thing, right? You know, right? Not it's saying so be revealing. a lawyer, but it's like that conflict resolution that you've worked on your whole life. It's it's a very kind of lawyery right. skill that right. you do use in your in mm-hmm. your life all the time, and so it's and I, cool. And with <laughs> that, like I, because I was thinking about it again this morning, like. In some way, when I talk about jealousy or when I think about jealousy, I kept getting to this place of thinking about white guilt, too. Mm. And as a white woman, a Uh white, very privileged woman, I think about white guilt a lot and exist in that space and have to actively use it to move into action and Mm -hmm. to move, you know, and not that I choose that every day, but jealousy is a kind of similar thing because it's a natural thing that's going to happen because of the way the world works and because of the way human work, humans work. And if we sit in it and if we, you know, what's the word? Uh, marinate, marinate in it. I love that word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What good is going to come from that? Yeah. But if you use it as a catalyst, if we, you know, use jealousy the s- same way that white guilt is a very real and understandable concept, mm-hmm. um, you can move into a lot of good work and action and yeah. changing and subverting. Mm-hmm. Um but if we marinate in it, it's real rough. Right, right. <laughs> and my last question for you is, uh, how has wellness always played a part in your life? Or how is, what's like your journey with wellness? Yeah, I, I wrote about this, um, I think last week. And I think wellness for me has come from watching my mom. Mm. Um, and she would probably not call herself an athlete. She is a very, very smart, brilliant woman um, and works incredibly hard, uh, is an ophthalmologist. And she woke up every morning and spent that time in movement, whatever Mm -hmm. that looked like for Mm -hmm. that season of her life. Um, and often would do it with other women in her mm. life. And so my um, my foundations of wellness, I didn't even realize at the time how informative that was mm-hmm. 
to what it meant to be connected to my body mm-hmm. in everything that I do. Mm-hmm. But she practiced that so rhythmically mm-hmm. that now I see, and especially with yeah. you, I see, because we wake up so Moving. often in the morning yeah. and, and find movement before we get going with our days. Yeah. And that has been the most um, uh, grounding, I keep using that word, the most... Um, one of the more foundational practices as a well-being. If I move, particularly in the morning, for whatever Mm -hmm. that's worth, um, it really is is healthy for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So movement is really your primary way of of wellness. And sorry, this is your actual last question. (laughs) Is um, In one sentence, Mm. what does it mean to you to create well? To create well means to find what you love in the dirt i love it thanks for Mm -hmm. the interview oh my gosh thanks for asking me questions oh (laughs) and now the moment we've all been waiting for (laughs) is the interview of ray saragosa my friend here in long beach (laughs) (laughs) um so i kind of wanted to start with just can you talk about your transition from being a touring musician mm-hmm. to now living in Long Beach, California during mm-hmm. a quarantine? Oh my God. <laughs> it was a really jarring, like literally the only word I can think of is jarring. Mm-hmm. Like it was a jarring um, transition. I held my entire identity mm-hmm. in being a touring artist uh, far before I was a touring artist. It was always my dream. Uh, since I started playing music was to be on tour was to be in a different city every night um, to just always be in movement and motion um, I am fiery I can't sit still I'm mm. always going from one thing to the next um, I'm a workaholic uh, to a fault sometimes and so being on tour was this perfect cocktail of madness for me that worked but also was was very challenging towards the end but um it was what i wanted so bad and i held my entire identity within it um i felt that i loved myself when i was on bigger tours my self-worth was linked into how big the shows were wow uh yeah everything about touring was directly correlated with my own uh inner worth that Mm. i felt for myself um, I hit, I was on the road since basically, um, I was 23, 24, um, in 2016 when my song in the river uh, that I wrote about standing rock, um, it kind of like went viral on Facebook and I started getting invited all over the world to perform. I basically didn't stop traveling since then. And if mm-hmm. I did stop traveling, it was just for like a month at most. And so that was three, and a half you know four years straight uh the first year being not as intense as the last three so i i pretty much say that i was on the road for three years straight and so now living in long beach and being a completely different kind of artist um has been a very humbling experience and actually a incredible time of growth for me because i've learned to value myself not just as a touring musician, but as an artist as a whole and as a human being and not just a person on stage. Yeah. Yeah. It's been tough, but it's been very, very good. Well, um, we, we 
what does wellness look like on tour? Because oh it just sounds like it drains yeah. every... Like, it's so beautiful mm-hmm. that you can physically be with that many people yeah. and sharing mm-hmm. the beauty of your art with them. But how and did you take care of yourself? Mm-hmm. And what are the challenges to that? I... um tried very mm-hmm. hard and I think <laughs> people would look at my uh the way I toured which was I never drank on the road mm. um I yeah, very strictly didn't drink didn't smoke um went to sleep as much as I could I I, mm-hmm. I took the best possible care of myself that I could but I also did things that were not <laughs> I did not take care of myself like I would do tours alone Um, so I would open for bands and be my own merch seller, my own tour manager, my own driver. Oh my gosh. I would just spread myself so thin and be like, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And attempting to balance that with wellness, like not drinking and sleeping and, but there was just no amount of wellness that I could balance that like workaholism and not even wanting to get people to help me because I just wanted to do by myself. Um, I also did tours where I did have help and that was a lot better, but you know, as a, a starting out touring artist, you know, being in your first few years on the road, you're opening for bands, you're not getting paid very much. Mm. And, um, generally, you know, you have to hire people to come with you and that makes it so that you make less money. And sometimes you only break even, or you actually spend more money on the road than you put out depending on the tour. And, um, and so I was always just like, I want to do it on my own. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And I just got, you know, I did not take care of myself in that respect. Um, and you can't really choose what you eat a lot on the road. It's really Mm. difficult. You know, you're eating out of gas stations, you're eating on the run. You're not being mindful about what you put in your body. Um, and even when I was, it was still just such a challenge. Yeah. Um, I wasn't exercising very much. Um, I wasn't having that much time alone. Even when mm-hmm. I was alone on tour, I wasn't having much time alone because I was, if I was in a car, I was on the phone. And if I was at the venue, I was talking to people and I was just constantly like over and over um, just, just exerting so much energy. Right. And um, it got really bad at the uh, and those of you listening who have followed my musical journey for the past year uh, heard a lot about this, but in 2019 last year, I had a really, really tough year. Um, Mm. physically I got, I was having chronic, um, migraine associated vertigo. That was Mm. just total hell, absolute hell. And I would be on tour for months and actually have spells of vertigo. I'd be in and out of vertigo for months, weeks to months. And I just like, even just talking about it is so, it's, oh my gosh, I can't even, even think about it. It's just really awful. And I was working myself too hard is what Mm -hmm. was happening. I wasn't getting, I wasn't, I was just spreading myself too thin, you know? And as a, opener and as a indie artist it's so easy to do that you know um because you are your own boss and so you can just work yourself way too hard and um yeah so I just my body was just like "Uh uh-uh you need to rest Mm. and it did not stop telling me that through these headaches until I rested and now I feel great and um and and that those episodes are behind me but it was rough for a while 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how has your creative process transitioned now to being here, to live shows, you know, right now not really existing at mm-hmm. all? Yeah, you know, it's been amazing because touring is creative in mm-hmm. its own way, but it is really more performative for mm-hmm. me. So I'm not really creating, I'm performing. I created yeah. that, uh, you know, that work before yeah. and then now I'm sharing it. It's really sharing. And so I feel like sometimes at my, the peak of the touring I was doing, I actually was in a lower creative space because I didn't have time to create. Yeah. Um, but, you know, of course, there is a creative element to performing. Like, every day is different. Every day is new. And, you know, I'm not throwing any shade on touring because I am obsessed with touring and I miss <laughs> it so much. But um, being able to just have this weird freedom mm-hmm. of every day I wake up and most of my days, I mean, pretty much every day, is <laughs> inside this studio apartment. It's just this blank slate of mm-hmm. creation. I don't have to be anywhere. No one's expecting me to be anywhere, whether yeah. unless I have a Zoom something. And that's been incredible in its own way. And I feel like I've actually become closer with my artist and become yeah. closer with my creative center in the past few months because I'm reminding myself, I didn't start doing this for um, applause. I didn't start doing mm-hmm. this for accolades um I didn't start doing this for bigger touring spots I did this for my love of creativity Mm -hmm. and my love of writing songs and my love of telling stories and now that's all I do Um, and the sharing of it is is far more minimal than it was before now the sharing of it is just online and so I feel kind of this incredible creative awakening and creative renaissance within myself Mm -hmm. and I kind of feel like a teenager again I kind of feel like the girl who just found her guitar and who is just addicted to playing it and writing songs and and whatever and it's although the circumstances are really awful um Mm -hmm. I think a silver lining for me is being able to like rediscover creativity Mm mm-hmm And I think something that while you were talking about touring and I was thinking about actors and actresses too, that this is something a little bit unique to that realm, both music as a touring artist and Mm -hmm. actors and actresses, that realm of creating is the community aspect Mm -hmm. of a tour or of a production where you have a group Mm -hmm. of people you're regularly with. So what does um, creative community and maybe this is where jealousy mm-hmm. plays a role, especially now in the fully digital realm, yeah. the non-touring realm. What does creative community and also creative competition mm-hmm. um, look like for you right now? Community, honestly, it, I was very worried about that because I'm mm-hmm. such a community kind of person. I'm always hosting. I like parties. Mm-hmm. I like people. I like concerts. I like all kinds of just, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, but honestly, what's incredible, at least for my audience right now with community, that's amazing is that people who could not, would not have been together physically can be together because mm. I can play a show for people all over the world at one time. Whereas right. if I was in New York, it'd only be the New Yorkers or whatever. So community, I'm actually feeling it more than I was expecting to feel it. Um, and I do miss that physical aspect, but it is still there. And that's really wonderful. Um in terms of like other musicians and people that I've toured with and like that community, that camaraderie, 
I miss so much. Um, I think that there is this feeling, you know, with artists online is that we're all trying to help each other, we're all trying to be there for the, each other, mm-hmm. but it's, we're all lost. <laughs> we're all very lost at like how to navigate this moment. And so I think that um, we're all lost, but we're all very much like we're in this together. And that's a really wonderful, wonderful feeling. And, you know, I don't know, I message other artists all the time and we're always saying how like, you know, like when we're back on the road, I hope we can tour together. I hope this, I hope that. And so I still feel that camaraderie. Um, You know, jealousy is something that I creatively, I haven't felt in a very long time to be honest, but when I was growing up, I felt it very deeply. I was, I would say when I was younger, I was an incredibly jealous, incredibly Hmm. competitive person. Hmm. Um, And what did that look like for you as a young person figuring out music? Yeah. I mean, you, and you grew up in two massive cities that both hold a lot of competition. Yeah. I grew up (laughs) in very competitive environments. I grew up in New York city and actually before I was a singer songwriter, I was an actor Mm-hmm. And like a child actor, um, my brother was as well, my, my sister too. And um, it's an comp- incredibly competitive environment. Mm-hmm. And all these little kids are fighting over these one, one spot. And the parents are, not my parents, but like right. other parents, were like very, <laughs> like pushing their kid to the front. Yeah. And it's, you know, growing up in theater and musical theater in New York City. And, you know, auditioning for Broadway shows, auditioning for off-Broadway wow. shows. And, and um, singing and hitting the high note and singing louder than the other kid. And then I was a competitive gymnast as a, as a oh kid, which is one of the most <laughs> just outwardly competitive Ooh. sports out there mm-hmm. for young kids. Um, I was groomed to be competitive mm-hmm. and I'm an Aries. So just like really competitive. I would feel like crippling jealousy. I would cry and scream out of jealousy. Like, why can't I be like her? And, la, la. and when I was younger, and this is what my song, The It Girl is about, I had incredible insecurity about being brown. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a pretty a pretty white girl mm-hmm. more than anything. And I could not put a name to it. I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want to be like her. I don't, and I couldn't really know why, but I right. wanted to be a beautiful, adorable Shirley Temple when right. I was younger more than anything. Like I would have like, I don't even know. And I would just like scream like, why, why, why? And also as a little kid, most of the roles were for white people they were not for ethnically ambiguous right brown girls like mm-hmm. me and so i just would feel a crippling jealousy for the white mm-hmm. girls um and uh and i've been healing from that and i continue to heal from it and i heal from it through that song once i found music i didn't really feel much competition or jealousy anymore mm-hmm. i feel i'm in constant competition with myself at mm-hmm. all times and i'm mm-hmm. very competitive with myself i don't really feel competition or jealousy with other people as much because i'm realizing that i'm not fighting for a role i'm not fighting for a spot i'm creating my own spot yeah you know yeah um and so then i just don't feel it as much and then when i do it's exciting i'm like whenever i feel jealous mm-hmm. of someone i'm like oh my gosh this is cool what do they have that i don't yes. what do i want to learn from them this is an exciting feeling and it also reminds me that i'm in the right industry you wouldn't be jealous of someone if you like were in the wrong industry you're like right you're jealous because they have something that excites right. you you know that's fascinating yeah. and that's like what we were saying it's like the transformation of that feeling into something positive because yeah. it doesn't have to you don't have to marinate in it you don't have to sit in it like yeah. it can be a positive catalyst mm-hmm. to keep pursuing what you know yeah. is is part of you yeah 
Um, so I do have a couple more. We'll do two yeah. more questions. <laughs> um, and I think this a little bit relates to what you were saying before and, and the places that you're healing right now. Um, where, like, what are some of the aspects of, and I use this term conceptual ground, mm-hmm. like, what are some of the aspects of the well that you go to for inspiration mm-hmm. within yourself yeah. and the kind of themes or ideas that weave through your work? Yeah, my conceptual ground always is um, like my ancestors. Mm-hmm. I feel that, um, you know, one time I I heard a songwriter say at a panel that she doesn't, like she is a television set, hmm. you know? And so think about it. Like what if you're like watching a TV show on a television set? Do hmm. you give the television set credit for creating that television show? No, it's just the vehicle for it for you to see it and that's how i feel as a songwriter i don't really feel like i write my songs i feel like my ancestors do and they are speaking through me wow and i'm just a antenna i'm a television set Mm -hmm. and and, um, i'm not responsible for the content i'm just responsible to um, be the vehicle for it to come into this realm Mm -hmm. and um Sometimes I, I really like, when, even in, within the river, the song um, that I mentioned before that I wrote about Standing Rock in 2016, um, people ask me how I wrote that song. I'm just mm-hmm. like, I I don't know. I just, it, sometimes things just speak through you. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm always trying to remind myself of that humbleness and, and realize that um, my artistry and where I am now is, you know, I worked hard to get here, but also there are generations upon generations Hmm. of human beings that worked far harder for me to be here, you know, and, um, my grandmas and, um, you know, they, they, they put a lot of work in for me to get to this point and they are also the songwriters. Um, Mm. and so that is always going to be my, my ground. Mm. It's beautiful. Um, and then what would you say to someone who might be jealous of you? Oh, that is such a good question. If you're jealous of me, <laughs> if you are if the you, one, it's <laughs> the PSA. If you're listening to this and you're experiencing jealousy <laughs> and this it's targeted an towards the race, that I go to, um, honestly, if, if you're jealous of me and you're listening to this, like DM me, mm. DM me and be like, Hey, I have these feelings and they actually are painful. Um, because one, I think that, Sometimes, like I said, we are comparing our insides to someone's outsides. Yeah. And uh, if you're jealous of me, you're probably just jealous of Ray. You're not, you don't really, I'm not jealous of Rayana, who's like Mm. who the true me is and who has a lot of stuff that doesn't share. And I think that um, what I always try to do is like when I say like DM me is because whenever I was jealous of someone, I used to do this thing where I would DM them (laughs) and I would say, hey, I think you're awesome because of this, 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 this. I really want to learn from you. Can we be friends? Amazing. Like I literally would do that. And that's how I've made some friends in the music industry. I love Because that. I just turned jealousy into friendship. Because you're not going to be jealous of someone if you think they suck. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're jealous of them because they have something that you don't. Mm-hmm. And usually it's a lesson that you want to learn. So, hey, if there's something you want to learn from me and it's it's reading in your body as jealousy, then DM me. Amazing. <laughs> and then we'll end with what you asked me to end with. What does it mean to you to create well? To create well 
means to channel your ancestors and tell the stories of healing. All right, so this week's Create Well Challenge comes in two parts. The first part is to identify someone you're jealous of in some way, whether it's how they write or the way that they speak or their photography or their poems. Send them a DM telling them what you admire about their work. And then the second part is set a timer for 20 minutes. Ray and I swear by timers for anything creative. Timer. So set your timer for 20 minutes and spend that time doing what you're jealous of. So if it is writing or painting or singing or practicing public speaking, whatever it is, spend 20 minutes doing that work. And if you're comfortable sharing what you created with us, tag us in it or send it in to us. If you're interested in supporting us on Patreon, our Patreon followers will have exclusive access to monthly live Q&As, extra photo content, and giveaways. Also, the first 10 people to sign up for our Patreon will receive a fine art print and a poem in the mail. Poem by Ray Zaragoza and art print by Erica Elon. So be sure to sign up at patreon.com slash create well. We have one patron so far, so there are still nine people who can get prints and poems. This week's featured musician is Liv the Artist, so stick around to hear her song, Alaskan Dream.